consistent self-improvement everybody you are now listening to american gypsy podcast i am your host classic and i am here with my co-host gypsy and today we have kelsey walker she is the founder of a nonprofit called from the desk from the green desk and the author of face everything and rise welcome to the show kelsey welcome thank you for having me guys it's a pleasure having you to get started, I'd like to ask, and also for the listeners, I'd like to ask, where are you from and where do you, you know, live now and how did you get to writing a book and starting a nonprofit? Yeah, absolutely. So I am currently located in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. I got here <laughs> because um, the first 10 or so years of my life, I actually lived in Kansas City. In the second eight, I actually lived in Chicago um, and yeah, got to experience all the good things that big city life had to offer and um, really fell in love with nonprofits and um, uh, women's and reproductive rights as well. I became a, a little rebel with that. And then uh, I did, my dad played football at K-State, so I didn't have much of a choice of where I was going to go to school. Uh, so I came, <laughs> came on down to Manhattan, Kansas, in the middle of nowhere, much different than Chicago, <laughs> to go to school. And, uh, you know, along the way, I worked in New Mexico doing medical search and rescue, met my husband. Um, we had a cu couple of kids and um, we ended up back in Kansas City in 2020 uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, with my book, uh, how I came around to writing that was while we were in uh, Salina, Kansas, again, out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, um, we were pregnant with our daughter, Hope. When we found out at 17 weeks, she had osteogenesis imperfecta type two, which is the lethal version of brittle bone disease. So all of the bones in her body were broken. Her ribs were breaking and crushing in on her heart and her lungs. And she was, she was suffering. And there was a chance that her condition could take my life too. So my husband and I made the difficult decision to have an abortion at 18 weeks. And as if losing a child isn't hard enough, the laws that surround clinics make it incredibly hard on uh, a woman going through the process. Um, I was asked six times if I wanted to continue with the process during that day. I also had to not be completely put under for the procedure. They used midazolam, which is a drug that makes you sleepy, but it is supposed to help you forget procedure. Um, I don't, I remember everything. And part of it was every time I would get sleepy and fall asleep, I would stop breathing. So they had to keep waking me up during the procedure. So I remember the whole thing. And um, it really, you know, it was at no, no fault of the practitioners. They were very kind, very loving people. Um, they gave me a card with my daughter's footprints on it and gave me um, a blanket that they held her in. But 
the fact of the matter is that because they weren't in a hospital, they couldn't put me all the way out because they couldn't put me all the way out. They also couldn't let my husband be back in the room with me during the final stage of the procedure. And because of the laws, they kept asking and asking if I, if I wanted to do it deep down in my heart. Did I want to be doing that? No, but it was the best thing for me and for my child at the time. So, you know, it, I precipitated post-traumatic stress disorder from it and went through a very dark time, but ultimately found the strength to rise and, um, you know, through therapy and through EMDR training or, uh, therapy, um, really found the strength to get back up on my feet and start my nonprofit and write the book. Wow. That's, that's pretty quite crazy. Yes. I know it's pretty <laughs> shocking. Yeah. There's a lot to say. <laughs> but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your nonprofit and what types of service you offer there? Absolutely. So we're going to double back to <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a lot to take in yeah yeah uh so my nonprofit, i based on uh part of the challenges with the procedure which mm-hmm. is that when you leave the clinic after you've had an abortion you're given four phone numbers for support uh you're given the suicide hotline the abortion support hotline which is a lot like the suicide hotline the a psychiatrist in Overland Park, which is about three hours away from where I lived, and telehealth wasn't really a thing yet. And then, um, given the after hours phone number for the clinic, because if you if something were to go wrong, if I had started having severe abdominal pain or started bleeding weird or something like that, if I went to an emergency room, they wouldn't know how to treat me because of the procedure that I just had. So that I had to go to the after hours clinic. And they said, don't, don't stray from these four phone numbers. Because if you do, it's going to be bad because there's a lot of um, pro-life organizations out there that prey on women who are, you know, who have had abortions or are thinking about it. And I got to the point where I needed extra support and I, I strayed off the list and I contacted what I thought was an abortion support group in my town. It was not, it was a pro-life organization that um, ambushed me at a church and a pastor basically told me I was going to hell um, for what I did. And, you know, after that, you know, I wrote, sorry, it's kind of hard to, hard to lay it all out, but, um, this past year with everything that was going on with, um, Texas and the heartbeat bill, I started writing my book. And because I started writing my book, women started reaching out to me saying, Hey, I've had an abortion too, or I've lost a child too. I've lost a pregnancy. Can you help me? Um, can you coach me through this? And so From the Green Desk was born. Um, From the Green Desk is a uh, organization that does coaching 
as well as group therapy for women who have had abortions, lost children, or lost pregnancies. And the basis of it is peer-to-peer support so that you're no longer screaming in silence around these losses. We also do a blog every week and then hopefully getting a podcast off the ground at the end of March, but the end of March is coming pretty quickly. And then um, finally, launching at the end of April, we will be doing narrative meditation where we will unpack someone's grief or trauma layer by layer and teach them how to write out and release into the world their trauma and their own story. How long was your path to happiness from or through this situation? How long would you take, would you think it kind of, it's taken you back to a point to at least you're happy enough to be able to be strong enough to start a foundation that it will help other people like you? It took me four years. Four years, wow. Yeah. Um, it took until, um, this It took until taking, uh, EMDR therapy, um, and really, uh, basically what it it does is, yeah, it's called EMDR therapy. It's has to do with rapid eye movement. I don't remember the exact acronym for it, but, um, basically it, the way it worked for me was it. I, I still have flashbacks, but instead of the volume being turned all the way up, the volume's turned down on the vividness and on how loud the flashback is um, when it happens. Um, and also helps desensitize triggers as well. So like one of the triggers for me is um, scissors. Scissors triggers me. So, um, it helps get rid of that trigger. Um, so with that, that helped me start writing the book, but what helped me finish the book and what really set me free was in October of 2021, I went to the women's March in Kansas city and I took a sign that said my baby was suffering and I almost died. I, you know, we need this healthcare, you know, read more from the greendesk.com. And I had set up my website and stuff so people could read my story. And what I wasn't prepared for, I was prepared for people to gasp and to like be mean to me. What I wasn't prepared for was the outpouring of love from the women around me and the people around me. Um, who, you know, held their hand to their chest and to their heart and hugged me, embraced me, you know, pandemic be damned. And, um, you know, asked me about my sign, asked me about hope and really healed me um, as a, as a mom and as a person. So from that, they were, that experience really helped set me free. How, um, I guess, as far as the, the, like I say, even the, the procedure of what you went through and even 
like I said, the whole, yeah, that whole procedure and you still remembering certain things. Has that been, uh, is that like a major case, even from the, the, your situation, the whole, um, I can't remember the name of the diagnosis with the, with, with the, the breaking yeah. of the bones. What's the name of Osteogenesis. it? Osteogenesis imperfecta type two. Okay, it's, it's a mouthful. It's brittle yeah. bone disease. But how rare is that? And how how many women are you know have to really make this decision on a scale that no one knows about, like myself? Yeah, so hope was one in millions that this happens to. Um and, you know, while not every single case is the same for women that need this procedure, um, there are definitely women out there. There's actually a, a woman named Anna in Texas who's at uh, 18 weeks, her water broke and um, her, they did an ultrasound. Her baby was not, was malformed and was dying and she needed the same procedure that I had, but because of her being in the state of Texas now, she had to wait and hope that her body recognized that the pregnancy was ending and that she would miscarry. And she had to hope that she didn't get a massive infection that could kill her. So there are definitely more women out there than they like to, that people like to talk about that need, that this healthcare is a dire situation and it's vital for. I think I was looking up reproductive um, scores in different um, states or cities, and uh, Kansas was pretty low score on reproductive rights and things like that. Are there things that are making it hard for uh, cases like yours? Well, what is making it harder is since the war with Russia and Ukraine broke, has broken out. There have been five states that have passed legislation banning abortion past six weeks or past 15 weeks. I didn't even find out there was anything wrong with hope until there was, we were 17 weeks pregnant. Mm. Um, so that would make it impossible for someone like me to get the procedure that they needed to save their own life and to put, and you know, and her suffering. What, what states as far as, cause I'm not really educated on as far as the, the matter of, or at least states are legal or which states don't allow. Yeah. Yeah. So Idaho, yeah. So Idaho, Florida, um, Missouri and, um, there was a couple others. Um, one of the Dakotas and another one are making moves in the opposite direction of um, reproductive health care. So for instance, for Missouri, yes, they don't they don't allow abortion in Missouri, but they are also putting making it a criminal offense to leave the state to have an abortion now. Kansas is also making 
moves to copycat the Texas bill as well. Um, but there's, there's a, an opposition that's trying to fundraise and fight it because of what's happened in Texas. Um, you know, clinics are getting filled up in Oklahoma, which are in turn filling up in Kansas. And it's just causing a cascade effect in these other states. And it's not because, you know, it's not because there's, you know, women that all of a sudden need it. It's because people have needed it all along and now are having to travel farther for it. What is the, um, I guess, one of the biggest stereotypes against the reason why um, it's such an issue with as far as them? Yeah, so the opposition likes to paint women who have abortions as these loose, slut-shaming type of women that are just, you know, going out and partying and getting pregnant and then needing an abortion the next day is the the picture that they're painting. And if there are women out there like that, that's their business. But overwhelmingly, that narrative is not accurate. Um, you know, over 60% of the women who have abortions already have kids. Um, and there's something going on with the pregnancy that they need to have an abortion. You know, there's molar pregnancies, there's mis miscarriages, there's all sorts of things that are happening. Um, and also people who are trying to get pregnant um, with, uh, you know, infertility medications and things like that. If it doesn't go exactly according to plan, abortion is needed and in states where that's not not usable it's making it hard for people who want to get pregnant to be able to secure that health care too and are most of these people that with the that certain opinion because i guess like i said i'm not really educated on you know the whole matter of it but even the view that when i looked at it it was more when a woman was raped by a man and mm -hmm. she didn't want the child if she was pregnant by the person that raped her to have the right to be able to abort. And that was one of the views, I think, that the little education that I had on it was why, you know. Oh, yeah. Men and, really, you know, shouldn't yeah. have a, a opinion on that necessarily or, you know, shouldn't really have much of a, a stake on telling a woman that she should keep a, she should keep a baby that is from a man that raped her. And I think that made, yeah, like I said, that was one of the things, but. Yeah, and there's definitely that case and also, yeah, there's definitely that out there. There's also cases of incest as well that yeah. it's, yeah. you know, it's a no brainer um, kind of thing. It's just that the opposition has painted this kind of slut shaming rhetoric out there that is making and the is, procedure is mostly difficult. Yeah, is it mostly more of like women organizations or something that put it together or like you said religion how does how does that affect you to have a pastor tell you that you're going to hell because of your situation does it affect your faith or you know even yeah. other women you know <laughs> yeah you yeah yeah so a lot of it comes from religious organizations um 
a lot of it comes from, um, you know, the more of the right-leaning folks. Um, the thing is that with what happened to Hope, you know, when I reached for support, um, looking, you know, reaching out for God, my hand was slapped. Whenever I went, you know, my, my husband worked for the school district at the time. I worked for a nonprofit at the time. We couldn't afford a traditional funeral at a funeral home for her. So I reached out to seven different churches to try to have her ashes blessed because we did manage to get a little tiny bag of ashes back. And all seven said no, because she was an aborted baby. They would not pray over her ashes and would not have a service for her. So for me, for a long time, it pushed me away from God because I was angry and I was, you know, it was bad enough that I was searching for a meaning behind what happened to an innocent, you know, to my, my child with this disease and why a God would make me go through that kind of thing. But the thing is that the close, you know, the more I tried to reach for God, the more I got my hand slapped away. So it was, you know, it's taken me until now, almost five years later for me to like start warming up to faith and things like that again. So you would say you're more spiritual now versus religious. Yeah, um, I've definitely gone more back towards my Jewish roots. Um, And there, because of the Jewish faith does not condemn um, abortion the same way that other faiths do. And yeah, I do. I do see more of a spiritual side of things um, now, but it's just, you know, it's it's hard for a lot of people to, you know, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. It's hard for a lot of people to wrap their brains around those churches rejecting a grieving mom who is in her dire hour and also reject a, you know, a child. So. What are some things that help you get through? Honestly, yeah um telling my story has helped a lot um being able to uh write it down and release it into the universe as i say um has helped a lot um it's like performing my own narrative therapy once once that gate broke open i was writing 15 20 pages at a time (laughs) um and it only took me six months to put the book out (laughs) um you know it just yeah it just flowed and you know my kids really help you know there's a little bit of sadness a little twinge of sadness with all the happy moments right now but it's okay it's more of like a memory versus a a flashback with them um and you know spending time with my my husband helps and him and I coming back together in our grief because he and I worked opposite shifts when everything went down with hope so we kind of had to grieve separately which really sucked as a husband and wife um but coming back together and 
um, you know, being able to uh, go through it with him has been um, really special and, and really helpful. So how were, what are some of the methods that you um, refer to the women that you try to help or you look to help with your, yeah, or with your nonprofit? Yeah, sometimes uh, people just need a sounding board. Um, you know, I'm feeling this way and no one else, you know, understands what I'm going through. Um, you know, I've, I'm feeling this way and my, um, you know, my parents are sick of hearing me talk about it or my husband's sick of hearing me talk about it. I need to talk about it or I'm going to start screaming, literally. Um, you know, walking them through processes that help alleviate some of that pressure um, and alleviate some of the, the silent screaming. Um, you know, I was asked at two months after Hope's death if I was over that already. Mm. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> and then I was asked the other day if I was over that already and I said um judging by my book and by the fact that I'm starting a nonprofit to help other women around this I'm not really over it but right. I'm just finding meaning in it and I think that's what is going you know going through those processes and those steps is going to help other people. Right. And that's why I even ask how long did it take to find happiness versus getting yeah. over it? Because yeah, you never really get over it, but no, there's what there's women out there that are 80 years old that still remember the baby that they lost. You know, it's just, it's, it becomes the grief becomes part of you, but it changes color, it changes shape, it changes the way it affects you at different times. I have an 80-year-old uncle that I talked to about a year ago, so he's probably about 81 now, and he remember my grandfather's death, like, oh, wow, it was yesterday, you know, and he yeah. was 15 then, you know, so, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> even yeah. though I remember it like it was yesterday, and, yep, yes, <laughs> absolutely so what are some of your goals for the nonprofit for the future yeah I hope by 2027 that we could serve a thousand different women um, or people because there are folks that are you know non-binary transgender that are out there that need the health care too or are losing children and also it's a family thing you know, it's not just um, the one carrying the child that, or that loses the child when it happens. There's also a father, a grandfather, a grandmother, a, a brother, a sister that goes through it. Um, but I hope by 2027, we'll have served a thousand people. Okay. So before we get ready to close things out, um, is there, any other projects that you'd like to um, share or links to your work or your book that you'd like to share with the audience? 
Yeah. So one of the things that we are working towards right now is the 50 States Challenge. And that can be found on our website at fromthegreendesk.com. The 50 States Challenge is literally what we're doing is printing my book at cost and mailing it to every senator, every governor, every Supreme Court justice and president um, out there and trying to get the message out and get the correct narrative in their hands, not this not this crap that they've concocted, but someone who is real and tangible and putting it into their hands. I can't just hope that the universe will make them want to, you know, read it. I, if we put it into their hands, it is their humanity that makes it if they read it or not. It is their humanity, their, their humanity that they make their choices on if they read it. So, Um, The goal is to get it into every senator and governor's hands. And with the 50 states challenge, you can pick whatever state. I've got a map ongoing that I update. Um, You pick the state that you want and um, it's 30 bucks to sponsor a state um, to get it sent to your politicians. Okay. And I guess one last question. Uh, You mentioned you're going to start a podcast. Yeah. You have any questions about starting a podcast? What is your preferred method of recording? Is it Zoom or is it any other ways? So we use um, the Rodecaster Pro to record a mixing device. Um, Mm -hmm. It allows up to four mics, uh, USB, a telephone, Bluetooth, yeah, where you can take phone call. And this is what we're running through. This is, it's by Rode is the company. This is also a Rode mic. These are the $100 mics that are for podcasts. So it's a pod mic. And that's why the sound is, it's pre-mixed. So we don't pre-mix on anything. And we actually run the Rodecaster Pro into um, the computer. So it's flowing the audio into the video as well. So it makes the process a little. Yeah, you can use any method we give. we give people options between like Zoom or uh, Google video right now, but you can use, you can plug it into any device once yeah. it's on the computer. And it's about the, gotcha. it's about the console is about uh, $600. And, okay. you know, it, it allows you to get the record. I mean, the, um, the audio is always being recorded and with it going into the video, it's kind of like a, you always have a backup because it's always getting the audio and, you know yeah it puts it in the video for you so yeah and it's specifically helps. for uh podcasting so the sound is mixed and there's like noise cancellation and all kinds yeah. of things that so, would help yeah and it's a, cool. it's a smart device awesome yeah. all right that was my main thing is i've done a couple of these and everybody seems to have a different <laughs> method so that's the method kind of... we use and we love okay it. all right awesome really convenient perfect well, we'd like to say okay. thank you to our listeners um and our supporters thank you again kelsey for your time and consideration yeah. and the information that you share with us is very valuable yeah yes and for the list yeah, thanks for having me guys yes thank it's you. a pleasure 
And for the listeners, you can find the podcast at americangypsy.com. And you can find consistent self-improvement merch at luamli.com. And we also have some music under Classic Carpenter. That's K-L-A-C-C-I-K, Carpenter, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. And that's on Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, YouTube, all major platforms. Thank you again to our listeners. Thank you again, Kelsey. And consistent self-improvement, everyone. Peace. Peace.